Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Uh, yeah, it's Friday, weekender edition of the show. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. It is TGIB. Thank goodness. It's BMAC. That's right. Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app is in the house here on this Friday. BMAC, good to have you up here. How's your week been going? It's been going good, man. I, I enjoyed that intro. That that felt like premeditated, workshopped, yeah, polished. Yeah. It's, it's, it's coming around. Like last week, very much uh, an uncertainty, right? I kind of threw it out there off the top of my head and we were sort of riffing. But this one, this one was a little more ready-made and prepared. And I think we might be rolling, at least for the time being, with uh, TGIB. You all right with that? I'm very all right with that. Um, you know, I think BTS Wednesdays is still the gold <laughs> oh, yes, standard as far is, as yeah. Let's Talk Sports single-day branding. <laughs> But that's something we could all aspire to. Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, we're still working on some of the other days and all that. We're just not that creative. I think that's really the bottom line here is you're not dealing with the, the greatest of creative talents uh, when it comes to those kinds of things. But I think we found it, at least for now. Uh, BMAC here on a Friday. Let's talk sports. And, uh, Brian, we start with one of your superpowers. Anybody that has listened to the show when BMAC has been up there may have heard us refer to him at times as the Red Jinx. Okay, and this is not something that is just flippantly alluded to. This is based on a track record, a resume of past jinx discretions where he has used his powers intentionally or otherwise to impact results of sporting events and not just events, not just singular games. He has impacted oftentimes to a negative degree sports careers and perhaps the course of certain angles of sports history. Yep. Uh, and so that brings us to, and I don't know if we, if we need to set this up any further, but maybe we just start here with what transpired this past weekend, Saturday night, big night, uh, on the gridiron where you had the Kahuku Punahou game right out there on the North Shore. Huge showdown, uh, perhaps a preview of the Open Division State Championship matchup. On the same night as Hawaii in game two of its season on the gridiron against Western Kentucky. And so uh, you had the assignment of covering that Kahuku Punahou game. But being mm -hmm. that you are the primary sports writer for Spectrum News app, uh, you also have to cover kind of everything. And so... Yep. Do you want to take the baton from this point on and explain to people what happened? Uh, if you are willing to possibly put yourself out there as to absorbing some responsibility for what happened. I mean, hey, uh, at this point, what choice do I have? But my, my night did start at Kahuku Puno. As you said, I was already up on the North Shore, so I figured I'd stick around for some of the first half, get some photographs for the Spectrum News app that I could then apply to a story that I would write up after the fact, after leaving the game, uh, but that was gonna that was contingent upon the University of Hawaii being competitive with Western Kentucky. After the kickoffs were roughly the same time, actually UH kicked off 30 minutes ahead at at uh, Clarence T C Ching Field, and uh, it was a good start for UH at least on the scoreboard. Led 3-0 after a quarter. And then uh, I think they scored a touchdown to get within 14 to 10. So it was very much uh, still a competitive game on the scoreboard in the second quarter. I had to make a judgment call. Do I leave this Kahuku Punahou game, which was clearly, you know, the marquee prep game of the week? 
it, it was a potential state tournament finals preview if those teams' fortunes continue on how I think a lot of us think they're going to go. And uh, Punho got off to a good start. They, they got a field goal on their first drive of the game. Uh, you know, they were holding Kahuku. They, they stopped him on several occasions. And I'm like, all right, judgment call. I'm leaving this game. I got some good photos. I'm going to drive all the way down <laughs> to Manoa. You know, that's that's a, probably an hour, 15-minute drive. Sure. Uh, even with lighter traffic at that time of the night. And uh, the reason being because you didn't want to be up there on the North Shore. Right. Uh, in the instance of Hawaii recording its first victory under Timmy, under Chang. Timmy Chang. Correct. Okay. And <laughs> so you get in your car, yep. you turn the key, you step on the gas pedal, and then what happens? I'm listening to the Veneri brothers, and <laughs> and it, it just proceeds to start falling apart in all phases for the Rainbow Warrior football team. I mean, um, I, I wasn't sure personally if, if like, my quote-unquote powers extended to just – you know, having the intention of driving toward a sporting event and things shifting. Uh, because anyway, after I left, uh, you know, Kahuku had to rally out of out of a late touchdown gap. And they ultimately did prevail 27 to 20 over visiting Punahou. Um But you, you take extrapolate from this that I shifted two sporting events at the same time. I, there's, there's something there, right? It's, 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 uh, it's like it, it's science. It's, 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 it's displacement, right? Displacement and replacement. I think you somehow karmically, just merely by your intention, getting into the car, driving uh, from the windward side uh, to Manoa, to Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex, just the mere intention of it somehow karmically started to turn the tide uh, further away from the University yep. of Hawaii. And then uh, almost the reverse angle, uh, it actually somehow boosted the Kahuku Red Raiders against Punahou. So it's like it worked in reverse uh, from the place that you departed uh, and the place that you were intending to go ultimately got to. So um, you have sort of accepted and embraced this this power, right? And and this, I definitely believe that this is a superpower of yours. I mean, you know, Superman could fly. He had heat vision. Uh, Aquaman could talk to the fish. Um, and you happen to have this uh, sometimes ambiguous and difficult to explain mm -hmm. power or force uh, and impact on the world of sports. But it is undeniable at this point, is it? Not? Well, here's the thing. Like, I, you know, I approach every game I cover from a journalistic point of view, and I, I do not play favorites, you know, going into matchups. Sure. Uh, whatever the, the prevailing storyline is, that, that's what I'll follow, whether it benefits the, the home home team, in, in the case of University of Hawaii or not. And uh, in the case of prep sporting events, um, you know, same thing. I don't take a side, and somebody will win and somebody will lose. But um, there, I mean, there has been a track record of. <laughs> Fortune swinging for somebody. Sure. It just, you can't, there's no rhyme or reason predicting who it might be. That is that is correct. With the exception of when I was a, a beat writer covering University of Hawaii sports, it would predominantly tend to affect the University of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, and in this this case, it, it may have been. So, you know, we're talking about the performance of the quarterbacks, and we're talking about, you know, interceptions thrown uh, by Braden Shager and Joey Yellen. But in actuality, uh, what we should be talking about is BMAC. BMAC... Uh, accounted for that second half surge by Western Kentucky. Uh, it's interesting how you impacted one team that is in red 
in a positive way, yeah. and another team that was in red where you left in a pos or in a in a positive way as well. So the red jinx, uh, perhaps you don't have the intention of of favoring one team or another, but it seems to somehow more positively impact teams in red. That did not occur to me until right now, but it would seem to it, it <laughs> just. Kind of, it goes with the. Theme, We're so. still discovering other uh, aspects uh, of this tremendous superpower of yours, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, you do have to hustle on a Saturday. That was another. Uh, that was another example of you uh, having to be at a lot of places uh, at the same time. Uh, that is the responsibility of being the primary sports writer for the Spectrum News app. You can definitely catch some of BMAC's work, though a very good work and writing, if I may say so, uh, via the Spectrum News app. Download it today. It's actually really good. You get to also uh, get access to watch uh, the. Spectrum Sports and OC16 broadcasts, uh, and so that thing is uh, is pretty good, pretty comprehensive for sure. Uh, all right, we're going to switch gears just a little bit here. Uh, well, you know, I just started thinking about, too, like the crazy bounces that occurred in that game for UH <laughs> and Western Kentucky, like balls bouncing off of Dior Scott and James Phillips and going directly to the other team. Like, that's kind of crazy stuff, too. And now perhaps we have further explanation uh, for that. Anyway, uh, let's go back to uh, another story. This is um, not necessarily a Hawaii sports story, but it's a big deal uh, because it was announced today that uh, BYU actually reneged on its ban of a fan from sporting events. This fan was accused of shouting racial slurs at a Duke volleyball player uh, following what the school described as a thorough and comprehensive investigation. So this is a big curveball in this story, right? I mean, we live in a very overreactionary time. <laughs> Social media, which is the greatest and worst thing that ever happened to humanity, it definitely, I think, exacerbates those kinds of reactions, right? Where that mob mentality comes into play. So you hear this story of a BYU fan at a BYU event in Provo uh, yelling or shouting a racial slur multiple times at a Duke volleyball player. And that volleyball player complaining to the coaching staff uh, along the bench. And then all of a sudden, word gets out. BYU uh, athletics director, has to, uh, Tom Homo, has to uh, I I issue an apology. And he, 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 he addresses the fans at the next sporting event. And, and BYU's reaction to it, I thought, was, was admirable and certainly appropriate for the seriousness of this kind of thing, right? Fan behavior has become a little bit more of a problem. I think post-COVID somehow uh, it has elevated, uh, perhaps even exponentially, uh, or at least it's more publicized because of smartphones and whatnot. We see it. We're a little more aware of it. Uh, but either way, fan behavior is an issue. And in this case, it combined a lot of different issues, right? And that is, you know, how we account for... Um, generalizations and, and racial injustice and all of that stuff in this country in addition to fan behavior. And so BYU's response, I think, was was pretty strong. Uh, certainly, you can say that it was at the very least appropriate. It needed to be. Uh, they ended up banning this fan and then agreed to uh, execute an internal investigation, which they did. And that investigation, BYU standing very firm here on this, uh, it uncovered that 
there was no corroboration, no corroborating evidence of this actually taking place. They looked at uh, video replays from their own broadcast that was done, listened to audio from that broadcast. They uh, talked to and interviewed other members of the Duke contingency uh, contingent. And, um, you know, this was something that was pretty thorough. And so they have decided that there actually is no evidence of these racial slurs being shouted. Uh, and they have reneged on that ban of that fan. Now, Duke issued a statement basically saying that they're going to stand uh, with uh, their athlete, their student athlete, and that they are going to, uh, in essence, um, well, okay, Rachel Robinson is the Duke volleyball player. Basically, Duke is saying that uh, in their statement that they are standing by her, uh, particularly in situations where her character is being called into question and so the the insinuation there is that BYU is suggesting that she was not uh, honest or at least not accurate in her depiction of what actually transpired at that volleyball game and so that has I think cued another overreaction right of people who are saying like oh you know this is uh, another instance of a student athlete who lied and the injustice that goes the other way and and you know how twitter and social media can be uh it can be somewhat revolting some of the reaction and the things that people are saying now the background to this at least in my experience and 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 dealing with athletes that have played in front of those crowds uh there have been other times where student athletes, I think even from the University of Hawaii, have played in Provo and have been, at least in their depiction, uh, they have been subjected to uh, some pretty awful things that were said, some of them crossing racial lines. And so this didn't come to me when this story first uh, started to get headlines and attention. It didn't come as that much of a surprise. It wasn't something that was unheard of, at least based on some other people that I've spoken with, their depiction of playing in front of those crowds. In this instance, though, BYU is saying there is no evidence found to back up these accusations. That is not to say that they are absolved of all past discretions. Uh, I think fan behavior, particularly sometimes at some of these games uh, in that area of the country, uh, can be questionable. Uh, but it's funny to see the overreaction. This is a pretty difficult and complex one to try to uh, unpack, uh, particularly with this curveball that now came out today. Yeah, it really is. And um, when I saw the, the ESPN story this morning uh, about BYU announcing the results of its internal investigation, um, <laughs> I almost immediately regretted it, but I clicked on the, you know, the tweet itself. The comments. So I could, you know, just get a sampling of, of what the comments were. And they, yes, they were as, like, vile as you probably were, would expect. And, and yeah, the discourse j did not, you know engender a, a lot of uh <laughs> faith in humanity <laughs> from me um yeah man this it's tough i mean it, you've got a real dichotomy here with with how duke is standing by its its student athlete and you know and, and what she claims to have have heard or or witnessed directed at herself and and byu with this history that you were talking about uh not not spotless history um you know, trying to, it, it would seem, move on from this. And their athletic director spoke to the the, the Duke student athlete, uh, Rachel Correct. Robinson, yeah. at, like right after the, the alleged incident. And um, it sounded like it was a, it was a good conversation, like a, a lot of contrition expressed by the, the uh, BYU athletic director. So 
I don't know. I just I don't know if there's a. Yeah, and I also don't think that BYU's statement has necessarily um, called Rachel Richardson's character into question. I think they were very sensitive about referring to her in ways that didn't discredit her as a person. Uh, I think just a lot of people will assume because they've come to this conclusion per their investigation that that is, in essence, what they are doing. As a byproduct, they are calling her credibility into question. I don't think that that is necessarily consistent with the language that was used, at least in some of the public statements made uh, by BYU. And it is important to get these things right. It is important to uncover the truth. It is important to be factual in these kinds of situations. Uh, And so I think we have to kind of take it individual case by individual case and not make it this broad brush stroke of, oh, well, I guess that absolves all fan behavior in the history of BYU sports. Uh, We also shouldn't necessarily assume that uh, even if this were true, that's how all BYU fans are in the history of sports. Obviously, it is something far more nuanced than that. Uh, And I think at the very least, we can remind ourselves that, hey, look, let's try to uh, turn the mirror on ourselves as fans and and maybe we can try to bring a little bit more uh, class uh, to the festivities as fans whether you're rooting on a team even if you're rooting against a team just know that there are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed and I think the more diligent we are as uh, whether you're a member of administrative um, departments or whether you are just a fan uh, let's just try to be a little bit more aware of that all right um Let's see. We have Lois on the phone now. Should we take a break, or can we call her on? You think? Okay, we'll we'll, we'll go to uh, we'll go to Lois now. All right, all right. We have a uh, Lois Mannon talking with Josh Pacheco, who's working the board here, uh, because this uh, transitions us into uh, a weekend of Rainbow Wahine volleyball here, starting tonight. Uh, two match series against USC. They'll take them on tonight as well as tomorrow night, but also tomorrow uh, you have a fundraising event uh, for. Rainbow Wahine Athletics in general. And so Lois Mannon, Associate Athletics Director, joins us via the phone line now to uh, give us a little bit more of of a uh, set of details that are surrounding this event. This thing sounds very, very cool. We definitely cross our fingers and hope the weather uh, also decides to cooperate. But uh, Lois, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Kanoa. Hey, so you're in charge of the weather tomorrow. Okay, all right, fair sure enough. That, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we're, we're having our Wahine on the Ride Shield Day tomorrow on Clarence T.C. Ching, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. It's going to be super fun. It's free to the general public. The first 500 uh, keiki, keiki now, <laughs> through the gates, are getting uh, a free T-shirt. And then uh, they're gonna, we're also going to be handing out a stamp card so that you visit each booth that uh, we're going to have all of our women's sports represented, except for, of course, women's volleyball, who has a game that night. Um, but it's I just got the list, actually. I can tell you it's, it's going to be cool. Soccer's going to be out there. They're going to have an obstacle course. Basketball's doing minute-to-win-it games. Nice. Uh, even swimming. Swimming's going to have, like, dry land mats where, where they can kids, teach kids on the dry land. Golf, of course, is going to have, you know, putting stations. You know, water polo is going to teach kids how to shoot through the hula hoop, stuff like that. Mini hurdles for track and blocks and batons for track. Um, sailing's even going to have a sailboat out there to to show how to set up the rig and give knot tying lessons. <laughs> Super fun things like that. Um, and it's free to the public. And then we're also giving out, um, you know, up to a 1,000 uh, Wahine volleyball tickets for the night again oh, wow. for the for that same night against USC. So walk right straight from T 
P.C. Ching and straight into the arena and, and just make a day of it. Yeah, there's going to be like music and, and food and, and all kinds of stuff, right, to sort of support this uh, this effort and, and uh, at least find ways to be uh, even further entertained prior to that Rainbow Wahine uh, match against USC. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be fun just to be on the field, right? Sure. And, and this is this is where we play. So Chris Hart's going to be out there. He's going to be walking around interviewing people, hopefully appropriately. He might be dancing because we'll have DJ, DJ music <laughs> playing and all that stuff, too. So come for that. that that'll be fun to watch. Right? Oh, man. Is this the first time that's ever happened that uh, Chris Hart dancing is being used as a way to draw people to an event? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he knows he's going to be dancing. <laughs> Well, it sounds great. For those who perhaps would love to get down there, but they can't necessarily get down there, it doesn't obviously mean that they still can't be part uh, of this campaign and still contribute to Rainbow Wahine Athletics. How can they do that? Oh, they can do that anytime, anywhere um, on the on the website, the foundation website, um, which is, I think, well, I can't even remember what it is, but our day of giving was super, super successful, but that doesn't end there. Um, that campaign is over, but we are always looking for donations um, to that. We're also having our our, um, our our celebration dinner on October 14th in the arena as well. But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother program. <laughs> but um, but but as far as tomorrow's concerned, yes, um, come come join us. It's going to be a super fun you know couple of hours right before the the Wahine volleyball game. Yeah, celebration of Rainbow Wahine Athletics. Uh, we are celebrating its its long enriched history. Uh, and so this is another way to uh, definitely participate in that. Lois, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, I won't bother you for a little while. I talked to you on the radio a couple of times, talked to you on TV <laughs> last week. I promise I'll stay out of your hair now. Oh, no, I don't I don't mind it at all. Have a, have a great day, Kanoa. Go both. All right, see you later. Lois Mann, an Associate Athletics Director with the University of Hawaii. Uh, now, th- this sounds like a pretty cool event. We definitely encourage people to go down there. Uh, again, it, it, it is a run-up to the Rainbow Wahine volleyball match against USC. You have a chance to actually win tickets to that match uh, and also support and celebrate Rainbow Wahine sports in general. All right, we're up against it now. we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Major League Baseball has decided they're going to change some rules, and it's going to go into effect next season. We'll talk about some of that when we come back. BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app, is in the house. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports coming to you on a Friday. Brian McInnes, BMAG of the Spectrum News app, is up here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu with me. Josh Pacheco is working the board, and I know Josh probably has some opinions on the news coming out about Major League Baseball passing a sweeping set of rule changes uh, that are going to go into effect in 2023. Obviously, one of the biggest motivations behind any rule change consideration has been to try to speed up the game, right? Pace of play, pace of play. You keep hearing about it, and so they have executed some experimental rule changes at the minor league level. And based on some of the data that was pulled from those previous instances, 
Major League Baseball has decided that it is going to adopt these rule changes in 2023, and one of them is an approved pitch clock or pitch timer of 15 seconds with the bases empty, 20 seconds with runners on. They are also uh, going to require a defensive alignment on the infield. This is huge. That must include two fielders on each side of the second base bag with both feet on the dirt. They're also including some rule changes that are going to limit the amount of pickoff moves and also expanding the size of the bases themselves. Part of that is uh, certainly safety-driven, but the data is the interesting part of this because based on some of the data that was presented in a press conference that was held earlier today with Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, at least over the course of the season where they were using the experimental pitch count Uh, or pitch timer rule in the minor leagues, games were on average about 26 minutes, almost half an hour faster. However, some of the other numbers like batting average, uh, uh, even strikeouts may have been down just just a smidge. But as far as like some of the hitting and pitching numbers and metrics, all of those stayed relatively the same. So it didn't necessarily impact the game as a whole, it just sped up the game, which I think is something that Hawaii, uh, that that baseball has to do in terms of just modernizing this thing, like all the other sports are doing. So, just on surface level, when you see these rule changes, uh, you're a baseball fan, you're a Pittsburgh Pirates guy. Uh, are you on board with some of these rule changes going forward? Absolutely, absolutely. I think the big one for me is the 15 second pitch clock. I mean. When you talk about these minor league games that that have adhered to that rule, going at two two hours thirty minutes, I mean compared to the, you know some of the the big league games just go crawl on and on three three and a half four hour games, I mean if you can cut significantly into that, uh, don't hesitate like what what and you, all the time you see the pitchers you know just just kind of gather themselves step off the mound and, and the batters do the same thing sure. out of the batter's box and they also have a uh, set time that they have to get back into the batter's box or else they get assessed a strike and i think the pitcher's penalty is a a ball is assessed to them if yes. if they da- dilly dally too long so uh, I'm all for this. Uh, you know, my friend Jerry Campany at the Star Advertiser is a baseball purist, and he's lamenting the the change in the the bag size uh, of the bases. Um, you wouldn't think that would be a huge thing, but for him, like the the 90 feet distance between the bags is like this. You know, this uh, a, a pure thing. That's you know, the sanctity of that has to be preser- preserved, and changing that uh, to him affects the the purity of the game. So he's staunchly against that i i don't have the same yeah feeling but uh if, if you know if that increases some stolen base attempts that's what they're trying do to it. do it, it uh, some of it is safety driven obviously but i think the other thing is yeah the the they're trying to encourage movement they're trying to encourage more action in the game uh, i think the shift is a big one because the defensive shift has changed the approach for hitters right uh you're gonna start seeing now the value of some of these hitters in this this game of, of today, guys like Joey Gallo, um, even like Corey Seager, who has to face a defensive shift each and every time he comes to the plate, uh, guys like that, their value is going to increase even more with the restriction, the, the effective banning of the defensive shift. Uh, because what has happened is these guys are so used to hitting a certain way, and there's so much data, so much uh, as far as measurements that are done, that defenses now can absolutely predict uh, where the probabilities are of these 
hitters hitting the ball to a certain part of the field. And so the defensive shift uh, definitely aligns with that. And so what has happened for hitters is, hey, look, instead of, you know, trying to bunt it down the line or trying to hit it the other way, which, you know, I think we were all kind of hoping eventually they would and maybe it would police itself. They're deciding, hey, look, if I'm going to keep hitting into the shift, I'm just going to try to go over that thing. And so that encourages them to swing for the fences, the high launch angle. They're trying to hit home runs. And then that further, I think, exacerbates the problem where now baseball's turned into this all or nothing game where hitters are either hitting home runs runs or they're striking out and there's not a lot in between certainly not like the old days stolen base numbers uh the 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 value of bases overall that has changed the perception has changed and so i invite these rule changes i I don't nearly have the same kind of problem with the sanctity of the game every sport has made adjustments and has changed over time whether safety has been part of the reasoning or whether they're just trying to make a game that is more tailor-made to fan enjoyment and yeah sometimes you make a rule change and it sort of swings in one direction because the game itself changes and the players and athletes change and then you know what maybe you consider instituting other changes to further represent the evolution of the game there's not a bad thing like nobody's watching the nfl every week and is like man do i long for the old days of red grange and and the old the old single wing offenses i can't stand the way this game is played today no nobody really says that even basketball i remember the time remember like this is not that long ago where everyone would be upset because nobody could shoot like, nobody could hit any shots. You had a select few mm-hmm. number of guys who could, like, shoot mid-range and three-pointers, and people would be like, ah, oh, it's just all about dunking. Michael Jordan ruined the game. Everyone's just trying to throw it down. They don't have any of those mid-range skills anymore. And now what? Now everybody can shoot. And that's become the problem. People are like, oh, there's too many threes now. Maybe we should move the line back. Maybe we should create a four-point shot. Maybe we should do these kinds of things. And that's okay because the game will evolve, and then you adjust accordingly. But baseball has always resisted any of that. And I think in order to maintain fan interest, you got to be open to change. And so I welcome some of these rule changes for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and something I thought was interesting was as far as the, the banning of the shift that you talked about, uh, as soon as the pitcher begins their pitching motion, the infielders can then they can try to at least shift from that point, <laughs> like across the bag, across second base. Uh, so I... I be curious to see like just what kind of positioning they could get in at that point. Obviously, would it be the same as if they had started in a in a full shift position? But yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of I think maybe tinkering from this point on. But I for a, a sport that has clung to its you know its history and its uh, stubbornness for for uh, embracing modernization, uh, they they you know they embrace the the cross league. DH now. Sure, Finally, yeah. that was like long overdue to unify the rule set. Interleague play. Yeah. You know, um, 2023, every team's going to play every other team in the league. And yeah, I, I think uh, what's interesting, I think the irony is a lot of the people who are against change uh, are perhaps resisting against some of these rule changes just because they haven't necessarily been in effect. But uh, for guys like Jerry Campany that you mentioned, uh, Pal Eldridge, you know, the baseball purist that I definitely uh, talk to at great length about these kinds of things, uh, the irony is that I think these rule changes will likely or at least are being put in place to encourage the game to be played like how it used to be played. Uh, maybe a little bit faster, which would be fantastic, but they're trying to increase uh, the motivation for base stealing uh, 
more more base hits, more more extra base hits, uh, more hit and run situations. I think that's what they're trying to encourage, which makes the game played uh, in a way that's more like I think the game that was played a couple of decades ago that that we all loved. And I think with the athletes in the game today, and there is absolutely no arguing that the athletes now in baseball are the best athletes that have ever played this game, bar none. Uh, I think that if you then encourage them to play the game in a way that's more movement oriented, similar to what we saw back in the the 80s and early 90s, it's like, okay, this could be a lot of fun. And and I actually think that some of the, the purists would enjoy that. It's. I was just thinking to your thought about the fact that the best athletes ever are playing the sport right now compared to the the days of yore with Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny to juxtapose, <laughs> but uh, it it's striking how few, how little you know, base stealing, base running comes into play in in your average game. I mean, it's uh, yeah, there's still guys who swipe bags, but it's not like it used to be in the Ricky Henderson days. So. If we can at least sort of get back to that, I mean, that's one of the most exciting aspects of the game, right? Just objectively. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I I welcome these changes. We'll see what the overall long-term impact is. Uh, But I also, I think, uh, praise Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, who's not one of my favorite individuals, uh, at least from afar. I, 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 I... Praise them for considering these kinds of things. Baseball is long overdue uh, for an evolution of its own when it comes to the structure of the game. Just try it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you can always change it back. But uh, I think you take advantage of the athletes that we're talking about that you have in your game uh, and you play a more exciting brand of baseball, maybe a little bit quicker so it's not as much of a commitment long term. Um, That could be good. That could be good for fan interest. Uh, I think that's what the intention is for sure. All right, we'll take another break when we come back. This is a little segment that we like to call What the Bleep? That's coming up. BMAC is in the house. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy joined here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu by Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. 808-296-1420 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Text in if you have a question or comment via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Josh Pacheco is working the board. We're going to do a little thing we like to call What the Bleep because we keep it clean around here. Mm. But we still ask questions like What the Bleep? Josh, take us through it. You keep it clean, says the guy who went bleep commander <laughs> on us uh, just a week ago. Uh, hey, it was <laughs> South Carolina. It was, I, I'm in the clear on that. Uh, you are. Uh, Kamzat Chemaev missed weight by over 7 pounds ahead of his welterweight bout with Nate Diaz at UFC 279 in Vegas. And by the way, in case you missed it, uh, breaking news on that UFC mm-hmm. card, they've actually changed that card. Uh, Jemaya's facing Kevin Holland. Nate Diaz is taking on Tony Ferguson. That's according to uh, Dana White. There was a skirmish backstage yesterday. They canceled the press conference, all that stuff. Uh, what the bleep, and there are many to go along with this, but... Uh, what the bleep with that? Yeah, this thing is like off the rails. Chemayev uh, uh, has had like the craziest of weeks. You mentioned that uh, scuffle in the background of the press conference that basically caused it to be canceled. That involved Chemayev, and that was apparently a skirmish that he got into with Holland. And he actually kicked Holland during that exchange. And so now he's fighting Holland. And I guess Holland was supposed to fight uh, in what was a catchweight bout, but now they're going to be matched up with each other. And Nate Diaz is going to fight Tony. 
Tony Ferguson because Nate Diaz refused to fight at a catchweight against Chimaev, who was seven and a half pounds overweight. And I think Yancey Medeiros put it best on Twitter uh, where he basically said, it's not as though he missed weight. He just didn't try to make weight. And that really is just an absolute refusal, like almost a disrespectful type of statement made by Chimaev to the UFC, to his opponent of just like, I don't give a bleep. And I think that that was, you know, that that, that certainly shows poorly. It is a bad look, but in vintage UFC fashion, what do they do? Hey, look, we'll still get Nate Diaz in the octagon against Tony Ferguson. I think people can still get excited about that. And what? Chimaev got into a little scuffle with Kevin Holland? How about we just have them fight? And just the UFC, man, they always win somehow, uh, even if it is uh, of the lowest common denominator type of thing. My what the bleep contribution for this will be slight and and brief, but I'm just blown away that they they have that malleability that they can yeah. do that at a moment's notice. Uh, but also, I mean, that seven pound thing, super sack Big Mac Mondays are in effect <laughs> again. So maybe it's slightly understandable. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You're right. I think, you know, that was going to be the big main event on this pay-per-view card was Nate Diaz and Chimaev. So they had to do something to try to salvage it. And you have to credit the fighters themselves. And you got to give Dana White uh, for all of his faults. You got to give him some credit. He is a guy who has proven to be flexible in these situations. Uh, they're going to put some product out there and there's going to be two guys that are going to be blasting each other. And that's what people want. That's what people pay for. All right. What's next, Josh? All right, let's turn to the National Football League. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, we find out this morning, have failed to reach an agreement on a contract extension. That means the former league MVP will enter the season without a long-term deal in place. I'm looking squarely at the Baltimore Ravens when I say, what the bleep? Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, how, how do you allow that to happen? Uh, Lamar Jackson, who famously doesn't have an agent, represents himself in these negotiations. I think that that's something you can look at and perhaps wonder if that impacts this somehow. He wants the big money. Deshaun Watson, he ruined the math, right? He skewed the equation because he got the big guaranteed money for 230 million dollars. Everybody else has kind of fallen behind that, including Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, who were guys that signed their contract extensions after the fact. And so I think the Baltimore Ravens are probably thinking, hey, look, we're going to look more in that pocket and that number range of Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. That seems to compare more favorably. Deshaun Watson just threw everything off, and Lamar Jackson's like, I'm an MVP. I'm a former MVP. Our entire offense, our entire franchise, it rests on my shoulders. I should get paid like it. He has an argument. If you're the Ravens, though, uh, you're just risking so much here they can franchise him at the end of this season i think he's going to make 23 million this season uh it's a roll of the dice for lamar jackson who is a running quarterback in many respects uh, i do think he gets disrespected in some of his efficiency numbers throwing the ball uh, they aren't as bad as people definitely uh in, in seem to insinuate that they are uh but he's risking his future big time you would think that he'd be more motivated to have some guaranteed money in place because of the style of football he plays but yeah i think i think both sides what the bleep you got to get something done here this is too risky for both sides my what the bleep here is i was not aware he represents himself and at this high stakes level yeah. of negotiation you're talking millions upon millions of dollars i mean on one hand i respect the confidence to uh, bet on yourself to walk in a room and, and talk to these lawyer lawyers and agents and be able to hammer something out but these stakes are so high like i mean sure an agent takes a, a cut of your you know of whatever your deal ends up being but but gosh, I, I'm blown away that he he is so far in his career chosen to represent himself. I don't know. Maybe he should uh, take a page out of the Iran Ganat book and uh, sign with Clutch sign Sports. With Rich Paul. That's right. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, he's betting on himself. 
right? And, and, and give him credit. I imagine the dude's going to ball out, but God forbid something bad happens. Uh, and then what? And then what are you left to kind of deal with? Uh, that could be uh, devastating for sure. All right, what's next, Josh? I do uh, last one here on uh, on What the Bleep. Uh, UCLA drew a program single-game low for attendance at the Rose Bowl for the season opener against Bowling Green. That was the first game following the announcement of its impending move to the Big Ten. So uh, looking at you, Kevin Warren, uh, what's the bleep? Yeah, what was the number? It was like 26,000 or something that showed up. And hey, look, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, 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 perception is is everything and perspective matters. And so, hey, look, we're University of Hawaii peeps and we're looking at 26,000. Be like, that would be fantastic. But for UCLA at the Rose Bowl, that is an all-time single game low. Uh, and this is on the heels of them signing with the Big Ten. And so it was kind of funny. It just the the look of it, the optics of it again, uh, because the Big Ten saying we're going to tap into this Southern California market through UCLA and USC, and then this is the showing of fan support that UCLA has. Um, it's not going to affect anything. I don't think it necessarily says all that much about UCLA's viability as a member of the Big Ten. Uh, it doesn't necessarily do anything to further hurt their brand. It just looked funny. It just is a what the bleep type of thing. Uh, I don't imagine that this is a cause for any concern on the part of the Big Ten. They're tapping into UCLA and USC because of that footprint, because of that area, regardless of how many people show up to the stadium. Hey, UCLA is scheduled to come to the Chin Complex at University of Hawaii in 2024 and 2027. So if they need to take a look at how things could quickly spiral <laughs> and get scared straight, just co come over here. You know, UCLA is going to be just fine. They're, they, they're, they're going to the Big Ten. They're going to have that Big Ten money. I think they'll be just fine. All right, when we come back, it's our home stretch, uh, and it will be uh, our best and worst. Did you uh, bring a best and worst with you here, BMAC? Uh, I think I got something in the uh, in the holster. All right. Well, uh, follow us on social media platforms for the Scoring Live ESPN Honolulu scoreboard. Get the final score of every prep football game Friday and Saturday nights. Scoreboard is made possible by BMW of Honolulu and Ron D. Solar Services. All right. We'll be back. Let's talk sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy being joined by BMAC, Brian McGinnis of the Spectrum News app. Uh, it is the fourth quarter. It is our last segment of the week, thank goodness, here on this TGIB edition of the show. So time for our best and worst. BMAC, what is your best? My best, I, I got to give the shout-out to my favorite NBA basketball player of all time, Emmanuel <laughs> Ginobili, as it was pronounced ah. on his draft day in, I think, 1999, did not appear in the NBA until uh, 02-03 season and became one of the core members of that Spurs on-again, off-again dynasty through the 2000s and then that last title in 2014. Uh, dynamic, reckless, at times borderline irresponsible player that was just so fun to watch, uh, is getting enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame tomorrow on Saturday. And uh, I could not be uh, happier and have more respect for that guy. One of the uh, Hawaiians to play in the NBA, right? Manu. Manu Bird. Ginobili. Yeah. Bird Ginobili. Uh, along with uh, Paul Gasol and uh, Nene Hilario. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, no, Manu Ginobili, he's a hero. And uh, you could say he was one of the top uh, two guards in the league for a stretch. And that is in a league that included, at the time, prime Kobe Bryant. All right, my best. I'm going to your favorite football team, hey. BMAC, the Buffalo Bills. You're part of the 
Bills Mafia. Uh, by the way, their turnout over there at SoFi Stadium was unreal. The Rams had to go to a silent count because of the noise <laughs> made by the Bills fans. The mafia. All right, uh, Bills wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie did a gender reveal for his sister after his touchdown on Thursday night. Uh, yelled into the camera, it's a boy. A lot of people watching didn't know what the heck he was talking about. But apparently his sister on a TikTok video was with family at what appeared to be like a sports bar or something like that, watching the game on TV. After he scored the touchdown, he yelled, it's a boy, into the camera, and that was their gender reveal. It is the greatest gender reveal of all time. It may not have happened if he didn't catch a touchdown. I'm not sure how certain he was that he was going to do that. He also dropped a pass that bounced uh, for an interception to the other team earlier in the game. Uh, so, hey, you know what? The confidence is fantastic. The gender reveal, perfection. Uh, very well done. That's my best. All right, what is your worst? I got to go back to my guy, Patrick Beverly. I feel like I'm picking on him every week, but uh, that opening press conference with uh, he and Russell Westbrook were like, Russ threw him a, a towel to like wipe himself off. And Pat Bev's like, Unreal. Oh, first, first dime of the year or whatever. And, uh, how people are celebrating this coming yeah. together of minds of these former it's going to go so well <laughs> rivals it's so going to go so well it's it's my worst in the respect that it's just going to be a absolute train wreck of two guards who can't shoot yeah can't there, <sighs> there's going to be more clanging noises than an episode of law and order when those Dun-dun. two guys are uh, shooting yeah Bagong. all right uh my worst Stephen a smith on first take predicting that the chargers will score the most points in week one of the nfl and then immediately after as the show was coming to an end was asked who would win the chargers raiders matchup and he picked the raiders <laughs> so hey Stephen a um Another feather in the cap for you, buddy. All right, BMAC, thanks. Josh, thanks. Have a good weekend, everybody. See you next time. Let's talk sports.